Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning. It is November the 6th, 5.50 a.m. I'm proud of myself. It'll probably kill me, but I'm proud of myself. Uh, it's election day in the United States. We, yay. Oh my God, dude. I'm so stoked. I could not be more disinterested, quite frankly. Um, but other than that, if you feel the need to get out and, and vote for whoever is next in line to continue this enslavement, be my guest. Um, let's get right into the vitals. Uh, Bitcoin is at an average of 6,452. The high is 6,478 at hit BTC. And the bottom is at Gemini at 6,399. So again, the spread is pretty, yeah, still pretty tight. Uh, active addresses in the last 24 hours is 634,000, where it's usually... Uh, about half a million, so uh, there's been a lot of transactions, I guess. Um, over the last 24 hours, there's 306,000 transactions with an average transaction per hour of 12,769. Almost a million Bitcoin have been sent over the last 24 hours. Uh, average per hour sent of uh, Bitcoin is 38,385. The average transaction value is three Bitcoin. The median transaction value is 0.039 Bitcoin or 250 bucks US. Block time is 9 minutes and 36 seconds with 149 blocks being produced over the last 24 hours at an average production per hour of 6 blocks. Uh, reward or uh, uh, fees per block looks like it's about 0.12 BTC reward over the last 24 hours. 1800 Bitcoin have been minted and 18.76 Bitcoin have been taken in fees total. The hash rate has increased, oh my god, 6.66% in the last 24 hours and it is back to right at 50 exahashes per second. Um, the last GitHub commit was yesterday, 11, yeah, November the 5th, 2018. And get to get to get okay. So across the board, Ethereum is still holding above 200 at 212 B cash, and the Clown Mobile is 569 dollars. Litecoin is 54.47. Ethereum Classic is nine dollars and 56 cents. Uh, Bitcoin Gold is 29 dollars and 87 cents. While Doge is uh, bouncing around 0 0.0037. Uh, it still has more transactions than the clown car that is Bcash. Uh, Litecoin has a little bit less than Bcash. Uh, Ethereum Classic has 50,000 transactions over the last 24 hours. Now it's pretty, it's actually kind of amazing. 
uh, and Ethereum is smoking everybody as usual with 568,000 transactions per per day. Um, the last, uh, it looks like Ethereum. It looks like the Ethereum development is kind of rolling along because they have a GitHub last commit of today. Uh, the sixth of November, two thousand eighteen. So, so that will do it for the uh, for vital statistics. Today in Bitcoin history is brought to you by the Satoshi.nakamotoinstitute.org forward slash emails. Satoshi is going to. Uh, in this particular email dated 2008, November 6th, um, Satoshi is going to reply to a person who says, brackets, lengthy exposition of vulnerability of a system to use of force monopolies elided. And then outside the brackets, you will not find a solution to political problems in cryptography. So Satoshi replies, yes. But we can win a major battle in the arms race and gain a new territory of freedom for several years. Governments are good at cutting off the heads of a centrally controlled network like Napster, but pure P2P networks like Nutella and Tor seem to be holding their own. Signed, Satoshi. And he's right. It's very hard for governments to wrap their head around something that doesn't have one of their own. And that's what why Bitcoin is uh, as difficult of a monster that they've that governments worldwide have ever really seen. That nothing has knocked uh, them off kilter, or will knock them off kilter uh, like Bitcoin. Because essentially, the only way you can shut it down, and you can't even do it this way, is that the entire world would have to be taken off the internet. And you want to watch cities burn? You destroy the internet from top to bottom I mean everything about it you are not transmitting any messages anywhere ever uh, yeah you'll see massive problems that's probably not going to happen but even if it did uh, we can we can build uh, I mean and it would happen I, I I know it would happen we could do all this over radio it w- the technology is is so slick that this can work over radio uh, it wouldn't be easy, but then again, uh, nothing use wor- <laughs> nothing useful or worthwhile ever is easy. So that's your day in Bitcoin history. And this is Bitcoin 101. So what I'm doing here is I'm going into uh, lop.net and kind of um, working through some of the materials that that Jameson Lop has put up on his website for understanding the basics of Bitcoin. And this one is coming from coindesk.com. Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? While we may not know who he or she was, We know what he did. Satoshi Nakamoto was the inventor of the Bitcoin protocol, publishing a paper via the cryptography mailing list in November 2008. No, it wasn't November. It was October. 
He then released the first version of the Bitcoin software client in 2009 and participated with others on the project via mailing list until he finally began to fade from the community toward the end of 2010. Nakamoto worked with people on the open source team but took care never to reveal anything personal about, about himself. And the last anyone heard from him was in the spring of 2011 when he said that he had moved on to other things. But he was Japanese, right? Best not to judge a book by its cover, or in fact, maybe we should. Satoshi means clear-thinking, quick-witted, wise. Naka can mean medium, insight, or relationship. Moto can mean origin or foundation. Those things would all apply to the person who founded a movement by designing a clever algorithm. The problem, of course, is that each word has multiple possible meanings. We can't know for sure whether he was Japanese or not. In fact... It's rather presumptuous to assume that he was actually a he. We're just using that as a figure of speech. But allowing for the fact that this could have been a pseudonym, he could have been a she, or even a they. Does anyone know who Nakamoto was? No. But the detective techniques that people use when guessing are sometimes even more intriguing than the answer. The New Yorker's Joshua Davis believed that Satoshi Nakamoto was Michael Clear, a graduate cryptography student at Dublin's Trinity College. He arrived at this conclusion by analyzing 80,000 words of Nakamoto's online writings and searching for linguistic clues. He also suspected Finnish economist, economic sociologist, and former game developer, Vili, uh, oh, there's no hope for me to pronounce this, L-E-H-D-O-N-V-I-R-T-A. Both have denied being Bitcoin's inventors. Michael Clear publicly denied being Satoshi at the 2013 Web Summit. Adam Pennenberg at Fast Company disputed that claim, arguing instead that Nakamoto may actually have been three people, Neil King, Vladimir Oxman, and Charles Bry. He figured this out by typing unique phrases from Nakamoto's Bitcoin paper into Google to see if they were used anywhere else. One of them, computationally impractical to reverse, turned up in a patent application made by these three for updating and distributing encryption keys. The Bitcoin.org domain name originally used by Satoshi to publish the paper had been registered three days after the patent application was filed. It was registered in Finland, and one of the patent authors had traveled there six months before the domain was registered. All of them deny it. Michael Clear also publicly denied being Satoshi at the 2013 Web Summit. In any case, when Bitcoin.org was registered on August 18, 2008, the registrant actually used a Japanese anonymous registration service and hosted it using a Japanese ISP. The registration for the site was only transferred to Finland on May 18, 2011, which weakens the Finland theory somewhat. Others think that it was Marty Malmi, a developer living in Finland, who has been involved with Bitcoin since the beginning and developed its user interface. A finger has also been pointed at Jeb McCaleb, a lover of Japanese culture and resident of Japan who created troubled Bitcoin exchange Mt. Gox and co-founded decentralized payment systems Ripple and later Stellar. Another theory suggests the computer scientist Donal, or Donald O'Mahony and Michael Pierce are Satoshi based on a paper that they authored concerning digital payments along with Hitesh Tiwari <clears throat> based on a book they published together. O'Mahony and Tawari also studied at Trinity College where Michael Clear was a student. 
Israeli scholars Dorit Ron and Adi Shamir of the Wiseman Institute retracted allegations made in a paper suggesting a link between Satoshi and Silk Road, the black market website that was taken down by the FBI in October of 2013. They had suggested a link between an address allegedly owned by Satoshi and the site. Security researcher Dustin D. Trammell owned the address and disputed claims that he was Satoshi. In May 2013, internet provider Ted Nelson threw another hat into the ring. Japanese mathematician Professor Sinichi Mukazuki, although he admits that the evidence is circumstantial at best. In February 2014, Newsweek's Leah McGrath Goodman claimed to have tracked down the real Satoshi Nakamoto. Dorian S. Nakamoto has since denied he knows anything about Bitcoin, eventually hiring a lawyer and releasing an official statement to that effect. Hal Finney, Michael Weber, We Die, and several other developers were among those who are periodically named in media reports and online discussions as potential Satoshis, a group of forensics lin- forensic linguistic experts from Aston University believe the real creator of Bitcoin is Nick Zabo, based based upon analysis of the Bitcoin white paper. Dominic Frisby, a comedian and a writer, also suggests that BitGold creator Zabo was the most likely candidate to be Satoshi in his book, Bitcoin, The Future of Money. His detailed analysis involved the linguistics of Satoshi's writing, judging the level of technical skill in C++ and even Satoshi's likely birthday. In Nathaniel Popper's book, Digital Gold, released in May... 2015, Popper reveals that in a rare encounter with at an event, Zabo again denied that he was Satoshi. Then, in early December 2015, reports by Wired and Gizmodo tentatively claimed to have identified Nakamoto as Australian entrepreneur Craig S. Wright. Wired cited an anonymous source close to Wright who provided a cache of emails, transcripts, and other documents that point to Wright's role in the creation of Bitcoin. Gizmodo cited a cache of documents sourced from someone claiming to have hacked Wright's business email account, as well as efforts to interview individuals close to him. The idea that the Wright-Satoshi connection is nothing but a hoax has been floated by observers. Though the compelling nature of the evidence published will no doubt fuel a speculation for some time to come. For the most part, all of these potential Satoshis have insisted they are not Nakamoto. Well, except for Craig, except for Craig Wright. Uh, so what do we know about him? One thing we know, based on interviews with people that were involved with him at an early stage in the development of Bitcoin, he is that he thought the system out very thoroughly. His coding wasn't conventional, according to core developer Jeff Garzik in that he didn't apply the same rigorous testing that you would expect from a classical software engineer. How rich is he? An analysis by Sergio Lerner, an authority on Bitcoin and cryptography, suggests that Satoshi mined many of the early blocks in the Bitcoin network and that he built up a fortune of around 1 million unspent Bitcoin. That hoard would be worth $1 billion billion at November 2013's exchange rate of $1,000 per Bitcoin. What is he doing now? No one knows what Satoshi is up to. But one of the last emails he sent to a software developer dated April 23, 2011 said, I've moved on to other things. It's in good hands with Gavin and everyone. Did he work for the government? There are rumors, of course. People have interpreted his name as meaning central intelligence, but people will see whatever they want to see, such as the nature of conspiracy theory. 
the obvious question would be why one of the three letter agencies would be interested in creating a cryptocurrency that would subsequently be used as an anonymous trading mechanism causing senators and the FBI alike to wring their hands about potential terrorism and other criminal endeavors no doubt conspiracy theorists will have views on that too perhaps it doesn't matter core developer Jeff Garzik puts puts it succinctly Satoshi published an open source system for the purpose that you didn't have to know who he was and trust who he was or care about his knowledge, he points out. Open source code makes it impossible to hide secrets. The source code spoke for itself. Moreover, it was smart to use a pseudonym, he argues, because it forced people to focus on the technology itself rather than on the personality behind it. At the end of the day, Bitcoin is now far bigger than Satoshi Nakamoto. Having said that, if the real Satoshi Nakamoto is out there, get in touch okay that's the end of that's the end of the article and i say don't get in touch this is a buddha moment if you see if you see buddha on the road kill him i mean that's i know that's rather violent but i know what uh buddha was trying to say there um if you see satoshi nakamoto on the road kill him because the last thing anybody needs in this space is for or is for that person to come back um, because it's going to cause a lot more problems, um, and it's not going to solve any problems. It's just going to be yet one more problem. But that is uh, Bitcoin 101 for today. All right, it's the morning roundup. I want to start off with a... Uh, a uh, little tweet storm from VJ Boyapati, who says, if you can't spot the sucker at the table in the first half hour, then you are the sucker. With so much dumb money entering the crypto space, it's worth considering the signs of whether you're the sucker or not. Here are the top 10 signs that you're dumb money. Number 10, you listen to Jamie Dimon and panic sold all your BTC. Number nine, you avidly watch CNBC for advice on crypto investing. Number eight, you believe anything at Roger K. Ver says. Number seven, you use blockchain in the singular sense. Quote, blockchain is going to revolutionize the finance industry, end quote. Six, you bought 2x token futures on Bitfinex and you're surprised and upset that they expired worthless. <laughs> Number five, you ever actually thought, quote, Bcash is the real Bitcoin? Number four, you're reading stock, stock picking newsletters to find companies that are working on blockchain. Three, you think there's a chance, if even a small chance, that Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. Number two, you want to buy shit coins instead of Bitcoin because you think, quote, it's too expensive to buy a Bitcoin now. And the number one reason you're dumb money, drum roll please, you've had a recent and strong urge to buy Ripple, NIM, Cardano, Stellar, or OMFG Tron. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there is no shame in being dumb money so long as you recognize this. Pick up your chips and step away from the table. Better that than getting wrecked. And man, I can't agree with that more. Um... The next one is a rather long, no, it's actually not long at all, but it's it's from uh, at coin underscore artist. Um, and uh, 
it's talking it's talking about uh, job uh, satisfying and rewarding jobs, and I you know maybe it's it's worthwhile it's a it's a worthwhile read so that's why I'm gonna uh, put it up in the morning roundup. It can be challenging for people to find a stable and secure job, not to mention one that is satisfying and rewarding. Being told what to do or having our hands tied gets old fast. Thread. How the Bitcoin open source community shaped me into an entrepreneur. In 2013, I was pumped for crypto crypto games to happen, but the infrastructure wasn't ready. Meanwhile, I began spec mining and researching. I followed the most credible educational sources I could find. I combed through podcasts and publications. I lurked on Reddit and Bitcoin talk. Early in 2014, friends encouraged me to host a YouTube show. I didn't like being on camera, so it was short-lived. I turned down speaking opportunities because because I was self-conscious. I was introduced to code as art. I created portraits and contributed to articles for Bitcoin magazine. During mid-2014, Crypto Twitter friends nudged me to step up my game, so I launched the first F2P crypto puzzle, which included a level on a Minecraft server. With the event conclu- when the event concluded, it had been a success. I wanted to try it again and apply the new experience I had gained. Soon after, my favorite podcast, the LTB Network, wanted to team up. I distributed my first pitch deck, which outlined a marketing opportunity in exchange for funding the puzzle development and prize. The effort to get out there expanded my network, which was invaluable. 2015 was a building year, both personally and also in my work. I made a few series on crypto puzzles. I focused on improving the production time and process. I released the one Flamin' Six puzzle. I also prayed that Bitcoin wasn't dead. (laughs) 2016, I became serious about trading and thought I could become skilled at technical analysis. Turns out, bag holding is the foundation of many crypto communities. The ultimate bag holder's quest is a badge many of us have earned along the way. 2017, I decided to push myself and talk on more take on more responsibilities. I used my puzzles to successfully build communities. I forced myself to be more public and confident. I learned lessons about stress management and leadership. I went back to the drawing board and recentered. Early 2018, I stepped it up a notch and launched my first company, Blockade Games. Blockchain gaming was on the horizon, and I wanted to be there when it happened. I've been excitedly preparing for this chapter for a long time. 2018, for organizing our blockchain game at Neon District RPG, we had to coordinate five solid development pipelines, blockchain, art, sound, sound, animation, server architecture, unity, and game design. We scaled the team from four to 20 people in five months. Recently, after 10 months of self-financing, we closed our first raise for blockade games. We're excited and humbled. From the open source community, I have received the support and tools to build a future I believe in. The journey isn't going to be easy. Nothing about startup life or software development is easy, but it is thrilling and educational. I hope anyone waiting on the sidelines will feel encouraged to take the leap and build. Don't be afraid to invest in yourself. And that's uh, um, really good advice. Um, I'm going to try to get a hold of this because I'd like to uh, start interviewing people and I wouldn't mind interviewing coin, uh, coin artists because gaming and blockchain is one of the, one of the things that I really want to start uh, uh, swimming into. So you never know, 
uh, we'll we'll see. I'll, I'll ask, and we'll see how that uh, if that shapes up into be anything. But with that, that is your morning roundup. It's Marty's Bent Time, Monday, November the 5th, 2018, issue 354, The Case for Deflation. It would be uncharitable to characterize inflation as a large-scale ripoff in favor of the politically well-connected few and and to the detriment of the politically destitute masses. It always goes goes in hand with the concentration of political power in the hands of those who are privileged to own a banking license and of those who control the production of the monopoly paper money. (laughs) It promotes endless debt, puts society at the mercy of monetary authorities such as central banks, and to that extent entails moral corruption of society. And he has a a tweet storm by Jeet, at J-E-E-T-S-I-D-H-U underscore. He says, when it comes to matters of money and banking, all practical political issues ultimately hinge on one central question. Can one improve or deteriorate the state of an economy by increasing or decreasing the quantity of money? Aristotle viewed money as medium of exchange, not store of value, limiting attempts to alter money supply. 19th century, sound money, coins of precious metals, interrupted by states introducing fractional reserve banking, central banks, and paper currency to easily raise funds. 20th century, Keynes and company championed inflation and vilified the gold standard. By agreeing in the long run, a nation's wealth wasn't impacted by money supply. However, in the short-term, printing presses could reduce unemployment, increase production, and create economic growth. And <clears throat> there's more to it than that, but it's, it ends there, and, and Marty starts his bent with, Good morning, freaks. I hope you all had an incredible weekend and are benefiting from the luxury of an extra hour of sleep if you're here in the States. Now it's time to benefit from reading this 18-tweet thread of pure sanity from our boy Jeet, who gives a very strong case for deflationary monetary policy. His thread was inspired by George, or sorry, George Guido Holzman's Deflation and Liberty, which takes a deep dive into the difference between inflationary and deflationary monetary policies, who they benefit, and how they affect the aggregate wealth of society. I highly recommend you throw the audiobook on and listen to the essay if you have a free hour and ten minutes to burn. The case for deflation is rooted in ethics. Holzman argues because it is inherently voluntary, whereas inflationary monetary policies are coercive, as they overwhelmingly benefit the people closest to the source of money creation and harm the people furthest from the source. The fact that money printing is imposed on an unwitting citizenry, which has been subject to inflationary policies for over a hundred years. These policies shield an elite class, one that is dependent on the inherent unfairness of said policies, as they make it nearly impossible for entrepreneurs to compete because of the tendency of the system to bail out failures. In a deflationary monetary system, entrepreneurs and enterprises alike who take on too much debt risk and are unable to service their obligations will go bankrupt, allowing entrepreneurs to swoop in, scoop up assets and businesses at low prices and start, hopefully, profitable businesses. This is something that is vehemently uh, derived in modern-day mainstream economic circles. 
while studying economics in college, I was indoctrinated with inflationary propaganda for years on end. The notion of deflation makes the economists of today shiver with disgust. How could we ever let the market work out economic cycles on its own? Uncle Marty is here to tell you freaks that he doesn't believe that we haven't given deflationary policies a fair shot in a long while on this planet. Inflationary monetary policies have been coercively forced upon the world's citizens, leaving them with no tools or leverage in a battle to get back to a fairer system. Bitcoin is the best chance we've ever had to experiment with deflationary systems. Bitcoin has presented a choice that didn't exist before it was created. We can peacefully express our will to live under a more ethical monetary regime by buying, building, holding, and teaching the world about Bitcoin. Will we take advantage of this opportunity? I sure hope so. Final thought? This is it, freaks. This is the last time we set the clocks back today. Today starts a year-long campaign to make sure we save future generations from the horror that is torturing humanity by artificially making the sun go down earlier in the day. It's pure degeneracy and it needs to stop. <laughs> Hashtag save the sun. I, I know what Marty's getting at. Uh, the, uh, the entire idea of uh, daylight savings time and, and central time um, is it's, it's horrific. I, I, think it's, I think it's done real damage. I think it's done long-term damage to anybody who has to do this thing twice a year. It's, it's stupid. There's no there. I don't know if there ever was a real good reason to do it, but there certainly is no reason to do it any longer. So I'm with Marty. Save the sun, bro. Hashtag save the sun. Send it around. And, you know, not that calling your senators actually makes a damn bit of difference, but uh, do it. Call them. Tell them this is ridiculous. And you want legislation that that ends this ridiculous, this ridiculous time change. All right, that was Marty's Bent. We want to thank Marty's Marty Bent for Marty's Bent. We will read another Marty Bent when Marty Bent has another new Marty's Bent. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Stakem, who I didn't realize has a, a really good Twitter account. Uh, it's hilarious. I don't have their actual tweet up because my uh, internet connection is a little funky this morning, so I had to kind of copy it and paste it into another tweet. But here's the, here's the joke. Her, I'm leaving you. Me, but, but I built you a house. Her, no. You stacked 6,942 boxes of steakum in the shape of a cabin, then threw the mattress and the TV inside. Me, it... It was our steakhouse. Man, that's proper right there. That, 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 that it, it fit. It, it, it's a terrible joke. I mean, it was our steakhouse. My God Almighty, that's bad. I love that joke, and it comes from Steakham, which makes it even funnier somehow. Anyway, so there's your uh, terrible joke corner. <laughs> terrible joke corner for the day. The Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Trezor, at Trezor, T-R-E-Z-O-R on Twitter. Info for Bitcoin Cash, hashtag BCH users, about upcoming hard fork, colon. Trezor servers run Bitcoin ABC, 
which will follow the ABC proposal. There is no replay protection, so users have to take their own measures to split the coins on other chains that may emerge. Tio Coin writes back, who cares? Both B Cash are dead. And for those of you who don't know what replay protection is, um, it the B Cash fork that's upcoming is apparently going to happen without what's known as replay protection. Um, so double it's 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 kind of complicated but um, the fact that they're not going to have replay protection puts both they're, both chains are, are at risk which I don't care I mean either one of the B, uh, either one of the Bcash chains um, is in my opinion not not helping the situation out at all uh, the Bcash camp is headed by narcissists uh, multiple felons I'm serious. Like almost every one of them has either been uh, been convicted at the felony level, or have been indicted in one country or another. Um, Calvin Ayer has been indicted. Roger Caver spent time physically spent time in prison for mailing explosives through the mail. Um, this uh, fake Toshi or Craig Craig Wright. I mean, his own government in Australia, you know, raided his house for tax uh, and leveraged tax fraud allegations against him. Uh, it's the, the the whole thing is run by people is run by by people that that don't really care about you. They don't certainly don't care about me, but they don't care about any of in, anybody else but themselves and and seemingly each other. And now they're going to split the BCAT chain into two and they're probably going to replay attack each other until the world looks level so November 15th is coming the clown car crash is coming this shit show is on its train down the tracks so be prepared um, and if I mean my advice I wouldn't hold any money in either one of these chains I would sell as quick as possible and get into damn near anything else. I mean, it's not investment advice. This show never is. But if you are, if you're going to hold money on a chain that can be uh, replay attacked, where <laughs> your money can essentially your money the the money can be spent twice in in kind of in essence. There's that's the the whole thing with replay protection. I'm I'm I'll do a bit on that maybe. Um, uh, maybe for tomorrow's show, where we get you know we'll get into a, a little bit deeper of what replay uh, attacks are, and why they're why when when a, a split like this happens in a chain and nobody sets up replay protection, why it's just unethical. It it is it's unethical. Anyway, so that's your daily train wreck for the day. people that's going to do it for me um i will see you all on the other side um be good to each other go out there do some cool stuff with each other um 
do, you know, try to do what I'm going to do today, take care of things that have been left undone. Um, yeah, I've got some things that have been left undone that I've got to get to. So I will see you when I see you. Have a great day. Oh, and yeah, keep that thing in mind about a hashtag save the sun. The whole time change thing is really not healthy. It's not physically healthy. Please make a ruckus about it. Okay, that is all. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.